You are listening to This Is Spinal Crab, the podcast about living well with a spinal cord injury. Remember, if you heard it on This Is Spinal Crap, it's probably not medically correct, so always check with your spinal unit or an appropriate medical professional. This Is Spinal Crap is sponsored by Colourplast, providing effective solutions for bladder and bowel management. Spinal Crappers and hello Chris. Hello. Today we're the only two of the original team in the studio so how do you feel about the new name for the listeners for the show? <laughs> I think it's great. Who came up with it? That was Rachel from, um, she's a healthcare professional who listens to the show. So she sent that in and I, I think if we know our listeners, like we think we know our listeners, yeah. it'll, it'll go down in the spirit intended. For sure. And maybe we should have uh, an Instagram poll just to see if we've horrifically offended anyone i'm sure we haven't i'm sure we haven't but i think it's good to remind listeners uh to rate review and subscribe on all of our social media we're all over it so on instagram our tag is at this is spinal crap you can find us on twitter and facebook at spinal crap show as this is spinal crap had been taken um and also you can find us at our website at www.thisispinalcrap.com but most importantly sign up for our newsletter um also we are we need more weirdly clever questions so you can hit us up on any of those social media, but more importantly, you can email us, which would be great, at thisisspinalcrap at gmail.com. So please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Chris, were you uh, working out with the guys at Backup this week? <laughs> yeah, they, they invited me to do a CrossFit uh, class up by their office, and uh, it, it broke me is the only way I can put it. It broke me. Because the two guys there and, and Sophie, they're in very, very, very good shape. And I had barely done any cardio since my injury. So I was uh, I was struggling. But um, you know, they were they were amazing and you know I was able to go at my own pace. But it was a really, really good workout and all the workouts were really adapted. So it was a lot lots of fun. But uh, I've been pretty much recovering all week. I'm very sore. <laughs> it was good fun. <laughs> Will you go again? Yeah uh, yeah yeah pro- probably yeah. Yeah. Did you did you like what we put up on social media? The backed up with spinal crap. Yeah, 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 yeah. Really, yeah. It was really good. I think yeah. we need to we need to make that trend. Don't we? <laughs> um, sure. So today we have a special show. It's called the Quad Squad, and it's a show all about having higher level injuries. So it's something that we haven't really spoken about too much on the show. And um, Chris, you're the only tetraplegic in the the usual group. So um, this is something you've kind of been wanting to do for quite a while. You must be kind of happy that we're now dedicating a show to it. Um, I'm absolutely chuffed. I've been wanting to talk about this for ages because I think, um, you know, we want to get a, a full representation of the spinal cord injury, um, you know, population. So I think it's something we haven't touched upon too much. So it'd be really, really good to get today's input from our from our fabulous guests. And on that note, we do have some fabulous guests with us today. So let us introduce, first of all, Andy Masters, who um, Andy was injured 22 years ago in a rugby accident. Actually, you guys, Chris and Andy, probably have a lot in common that you both have had freak uh, sporting injuries. Um, Andy is the head of services at Backup. He is a parachair user. He's uh, level C3, 4 incomplete. And you're a rugby nut. Is that right? That is right. Hello. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Glad to have you, Andy. And we also have Brian O'Shea. Brian, thank you for coming in today as well. You are the Continuing Healthcare Advisor for Spinal Injuries Association and you run patient education sessions at Stoke Mandeville. Um, uh, uh, 
specifically about care funding. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and uh, I think I can join the freak sporting accident. Oh, uh, really? I uh, jumped into the River Thames and there was a submerged tree stump and right. we uh, had a fight and my neck lost. <gasps> and uh, if I'd been two inches left or right, I might have lost an ear or something like that. But uh, I no, I did a good job, hit it square on. <laughs> And that was oh, 26 years ago, was uh, it? Back, yeah, way back before. I mean, it was back when we were part of the EU and all sorts. <laughs> <laughs> very, very and what's your level of injury, Brian? Uh, for C4-5 complete. Okay, great. Um, so everybody's here today to talk about life since becoming um, tetraplegic or quadriplegic, if you're listening from America or if you prefer that terminology. Yeah. Um, this is obviously something that I don't have a huge frame of reference for. So, Chris, you're going to run the You're handing me the, the reins. <laughs> you're handing me the reins. Absolutely. Oh, God, right. Well, apologies from here on out then. Um, well, let's start with Andy. Um, so, you're our first power chair user. Right. Um, I guess it would just be good to learn a bit more about your injury, how it happened, and I guess your story so far. Uh, okay, yeah. So, I was 17. I was playing uh, rugby in a school match at the time. Um and it was near the end of the game, actually. And uh, it was just a normal scrum that I was packing yeah. down for. And it was just, like like Ruth said, a freak accident. So top of my head just got in the wrong place, hit the other guy's shoulder really flush. And um, just uh, fractured, dislocated C3 and 4. So the third and fourth vertebrae slipped around next to each other. And, um, yeah, pinched the cord and sort of chopped into it a little bit. Right. Um, and I knew I'd done it as soon as I made contact. So... Really? Yeah, everything kind of went into frame by frame uh, action as I as I went fell to the floor, right. um, and I was sort of telling people not to move me. I broke my neck. Um, I thought I'd said that a few times before I hit the floor. Obviously, obviously yeah. I didn't. Um, and then yeah, it was uh, I went to a local hospital, um, and luckily for me, they were on the phone to Stone Mandeville at the time, and they arranged transport there that evening. So mm -hmm. I went straight into into a specialist spinal centre, which was really um, fortunate because I got the care and everything that I needed. Um, did nine months uh, rehab in there, so okay. full full term of rehab there. Um, then was discharged initially to an old people's home, which was pretty grim at 18. Yeah, wow. uh, so I was in there for a bit. Um, I just started my last year of school when I had my uh, injury. Okay. So um, I went back and finished that last year of school, which Amazing. was, a, yeah, it was interesting because it was a bit all up in the air, lots of um, getting to know my body and yeah, routines sure. and stuff. Did the school um, make adaptations or was it already all? Yeah, they were really good actually. Um, so it's something, that, another thing we do at Backup is about education inclusion, but mm. at the time um, that wasn't uh, available, but we didn't need it with my school. They were excellent. Um, so yeah, they couldn't have been better really. Um, and yeah, and then been a, been working for backup for the last sort of I don't know eight nine years now okay. um, through various roles, which has been great to see how uh, the system works nationally um, and and what needs improving and and hoping to um, put in services that run to to help people like myself out. Yeah. So when you you left uh, rehab, so you were at Stoke Mandeville, right? Yeah. So you then you obviously went to the um, the old people's home, but then you were 
they found you or you've eventually found a new place to stay? Is that sort of talk through a living situation? Now? Yeah, so in that year, um, the first sort of year after uh, after leaving hospital, um, yeah, I was in the sort of old people's home for a bit and then um, got a housing association flat, which was mm-hmm. um, adapted. Um, so that was that was okay. Um, I'd sort of pinched one of the nurses from from Stoke to be my oh, really? to be my carer. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and we do not condone that behaviour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. So so that was that was good, but you know, in in various ways, and then, um, yeah, then sort of was learning to have PAs, which I think we'll get onto in a minute. Yeah, for sure. Um, and yeah, going back to school. Um, going through all that sort of stuff as well um and then um managed to get a place of my own get that adapted um and then sort of felt like that was a time when i needed to settle down and work out what would happen to me and get some routine back in my life and uh yeah for sure um so yeah that's sort of how that bit happened so have you found using a, a manual uh, a power wheelchair because i when i first had my injury they, they put me one and i was absolutely petrified because uh i'd i'd saw someone fall out the back of it and i was like oh my god but i think he was being a bit ambitious trying to go down this huge steep curve um so how have you found it in terms of getting around town and yeah no excellent i mean it's um it makes me much more independent than i would Mm. be in a manual chair yeah um so yeah i think it just takes a bit of getting used to a bit like driving a car or something but yeah for sure um but yeah um you know something that we do again at back up we teach power chair skills as well yeah um so you know i've been i've been doing that for years as well as, oh, as really? a, well so i started as a volunteer back up and then went okay. through um so uh so yeah no i think it's really just about trying things out and testing its limits a bit i've yeah. i've fallen out a few times myself have but, you yeah but yeah a few drinks yeah but, uh, <laughs> but uh, of course <laughs> i don't think you can consider yourself a proper wheelchair user <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a good point actually it's, yeah uh, for sure it's it, it's it's one of the sort of the the um the rites of passage <laughs> is your first fallout <laughs> yeah and, uh, and yeah. it's never as bad as you think it's gonna no, be so, yeah, yeah. that's true yeah, yeah. But yeah, so yeah, no, most of independent. It's just another tool as to to get me around to do the things that I want to do. But mm. um, but yeah, so yeah, it's great. So do you drive? And um, yeah. is that sort of similar? So you would have you transfer in, or do you drive straight in? No, I drive one? straight in. So okay. my uh, if you, I've got a van with a lift on the back of it, um, oh, and so you drive straight onto the lift. Um, in through the through the car, and then there's no driver's seat. There's just a mm-hmm. a kind of thing on the floor that um, the chair clicks into oh, uh, right. the power chair that I'm in. Um, the seatbelt's already across, so you just lift that over. I lift that over my lap, right. um, and then this chair actually lowers down so that I'm in the right position. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to see out the windscreen properly. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And then yeah, I'm good to go. So yeah, again, make really. One of the best things I did was was start driving in really because yeah, fully independent. Yeah, you know, driving yeah. around Europe a few times and um, really, yeah, and, and obviously with work, it's a lot. They, there's a lot of driving around the, the different spinal centres with that. Yeah, so of course, various meetings, things like that. So yeah, no, it's it's really good. I recommend uh, people start driving as soon as they can after yeah, yeah, after yeah. their injuries. And that's all through mobility, the car. Or I actually bought mine privately, but oh, really? I'm, I'm in the process of getting um, getting a new one now. Uh, okay, through mobility. So yeah. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, it's a great scheme. And let's quickly touch upon the rugby because mm. obviously I'm a huge football fan <laughs> yeah. and obviously think it's a superior sport, but that's fine. And uh, <laughs> so um, you you're quite heavily associated with the with the RFU, and um, I know you obviously 
you're off to watch the Six Nations later. Yes. Well, so, so talk us through then how how. how the yeah. So having my injury you. through through rugby, yeah. um, they the RFU are very good. Actually, they've got um, now they've got a, a charity called the Injured Players Foundation, um, okay. and you are guaranteed tickets for for all the matches at Twickenham. Um, <laughs> and uh, I tend to go to some of the away games as well. So really, I'm off up to. Edinburgh next week for the for oh, the Scotland England match, yeah. That's so, um, so yeah, still still go and watch that out of my local club. Um, still go go down there quite a lot. Still that? Got, um, so old Dunstonians, they're actually the old boys club of my of my school. Oh really? Um, oh, so yeah, that I've still got friends that have only just finished playing. So uh, go and watch stuff with them as well. So yeah, and I was season ticket holder at um, at one of the Premiership clubs for a long time too, but uh, not so much now. But uh, <laughs> But yeah, no, still, still love the rugby. Still going watch a lot. Oh, I absolutely, I love that. I love that. <laughs> Same here. I try and get to Chelsea as much as I, much yeah, as I can. But yeah. that's all tanking it at the moment. <laughs> anyway, um, Brian, let's talk about you. But you just get to learn a bit about all you, your experience through. Where did you rehab and and talk us through where you are today? So uh, yeah, I, as I said, I, I jumped into, mm-hmm. into the river and, the and uh, yeah, that was uh, that was interesting. It, uh, they pulled me out the water and. Uh, it was a bit of a complicated story because I used to row before my um, injury, and I was at Henley watching the rowing, and uh, mm-hmm. and then we had parked quite far away, and we were walking back um, through a field, and uh, we decided to go for a swim, and uh, that was when I I had my encounter with this submerged tree stump, and. Um, so the first thing was getting me out the water, and they got me out the water. Um, one of my mate who was with me had had done uh, sports physio at, at university, and so she right. got a board from somewhere, God oh, really? knows where, and wow. they lifted me out on that. Um, and then they sent an ambulance, which got stuck in the field. So no. they had to send a four-wheel drive ambulance. Jeez. And uh, so... I had my injury at 10 o'clock at night, and I think the ambulance arrived at 2 o'clock in the morning. No way. And, and I, oh, by, by that stage, I was um, I was, uh, the, yeah, in quite a lot of shock and, yeah. and not particularly comfortable. Weren't you lucky that you had somebody with you who had some knowledge of, of what was going on? Yeah, I, I guess I was. I mean, I when I hit the tree stump, I was face down in the water, and so that was an interesting experience lying there waiting uh for somebody to and and my mate they thought i was joking the people i was with so they were poking me in the ribs trying to make me laugh and eventually they poked me quite hard and uh, i rolled over enough and sort of they could see that my lips were turning blue and i said uh please help and so that was when they turned me over and uh so yeah and then reading hospital x-rays get you to stoke and again in those days it was a lot more straightforward than it is now. And so I was in Stoke by six o'clock the next morning um, and uh, 11 months in Stoke. And then I had a, a relatively benign five months in a in a care home um, mm. before while they were adapting my flat. Can I ask actually about that, like just the length of times, you know, for your, your rehabilitation back then? We, I think I've spoken to a few people before about um, the changes 
between say 20 something years ago and injuries now um, and obviously there are there are many changes for many different reasons mm-hmm. but one thing that's come up was the demographic yeah. of people getting injured yes um, so when you were injured for example Brian there would have been both of you actually 20 plus mm-hmm. years ago there would have been a lot of young guys yeah very much so so I think that there are a couple of a couple of sort of interesting things the first is that when I was injured, I was put in traction. I'm, I'm sure you were as well, Andy. Yeah. For, and so for three months, you literally lie flat on your back and stare at the ceiling. And that's that's a, a, quite an experience to, to lie there. Oh, but it gives you three months to lie there and sort of think and work out what's gone on. Well, certainly for me, I found it an interesting reflective period. I certainly found it reflective and when I got up in a chair I I'd already taken a couple of steps along the journey of realizing what I had to deal with and um and yes there were a lot more younger people men in particular sporting accidents and so there was there was quite a social vibe in the unit and significant difference it wasn't a dry unit and so we used to have literally <laughs> drinks on the unit every evening after yeah. dinner. Really? It was a and big part of my rehab was uh, that social side of it. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, lots of drink, <laughs> drinks involved. Really? But yeah. On, uh, on, on the Stoke yeah. Mandible site, there was a bowls club that had a bar. Yeah. And so all of the, the the staff used to take us down to the bowls club and and I mean, there was one occasion where there was a procession of us coming back and there was a very high level um tetraplegic in a in a massive powered chair with a chin control and um there was one part where you got on this narrow path to go up Past the mall. Yeah, past the mall. (laughs) Past the morgue. Indeed. (laughs) And and the morgue was was in like an old Nissan hut. And um, he went a bit wobbly and went off the path. And him and his um, powered chair slid down and his head crashed through the wall of the morgue. Oh, no! <laughs> oh. And that was a really significant part of, of the rehab. It was that socialising, spending time drinking with um, with uh, other people. And, and when I go back into Stoke, which is the unit that I tend to go around, and Andy, I don't know if you find this, but I, I just find it amazing that at five o'clock everybody's in bed. Yeah, um, I think things have changed massively. So I think um, the way, I think it goes to show how there's still a lot of learning in the medical profession around spinal injuries mm, and, mm. and what they do and don't know. Um, like Brian says, um, in our day, you you sort of did a mandatory period on bed rest. Yeah. So with me, it was if you if you had had an operation to, to fix your, your neck or back, then you did six weeks. Um, straight bed rest uh, and if you hadn't then you did uh, 12 weeks and that was it that was just everyone did the same thing right um, now it's much like Brian said with the American model at the time in that they um, they tried to get you up as as quickly as possible mm. um, and yeah demographic wise Ruth I think um, yeah it was all um, a lot more younger male para um, injuries through mm road traffic accidents majority of them um and, and sporting accidents like mm-hmm. 
sort of Brian and myself. Um, and now it's flipped right round on its head through better sort of car safety and first up care. Um, the demographic is higher level injuries, but more incomplete people who are in their 60s plus. Um, so older people that have got sort of weaker bones, have falls um, and then have uh, sort of neck injuries, um, but, that, but that are incomplete, which has meant that there's a huge strain on the on the system to keep up with that. Yeah, I imagine there's quite a lot of differences then in terms of the care that's needed. Um, yeah, there's there's additional complications that people can can present with on top mm-hmm. of the spinal injury. Um, so what they call comorbidity. So um, so yeah, there's again it's more strain on the on the system generally, um, which is in massive demand as it is anyway. So you know there's only two there's only a third of of people that have got spinal injuries. Um, at the moment, are accessing the specialist centres, um, so which is a, a third. Yeah, so there's wow. two and a half thousand new injuries a year in yeah. the UK, um, and yeah, not only a third of those are making it to the specialist hospitals. So um, there's a lot that needs doing to improve it, um, and the charities, um, SIA, Backup, and Aspire, the three main charities, have have got a huge uh, job to help um, sort of change things and improve things for people. I, I, that's one thing I want to pick up on was there was a specialist care, both of you, and your experience of carers. So it'd be great if you could explain how they help, how they organise, any relationships, long-term carers, do they live in, how they affect family life. I've asked you about a million questions there, but I sort of, I've, I've, I've heard that, the door. Brian, I've, you've been described as the oracle of um, <laughs> of continuing healthcare. I won't say who told me. Uh, whoever told you that was 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 misrepresenting the actuality. But uh, care funding is is massively complicated, mm-hmm. and it's certainly one of the biggest challenges for high level injuries. If somebody is, does need advice on that, is SIA the place to go? Yeah, I mean SIA gives a lot of advocacy and advice around care funding, so so that's that's a good place to start. Um, uh, but getting the funding in the first place is is, is a massive uh, challenge, and then getting the right level of care is 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 a massive mm. challenge. I mean, a, a bit like you know, a bit of a a running theme today because when I left the nursing home, I um, I nicked one of their nurses and uh, naughty boys indeed, <laughs> and and um, we were in a relationship at the time, and and. Uh, she was she was my carer and um, and my partner and oh, it's very controversial. It's very <laughs> controversial. And one of the first things that they tell you at Stoke Mandeville is is don't have your carer and your partner be the same person. And I thought I could get away with it, and I did for eighteen months, and then things went spectacular spectacularly wrong oh, nice. and um, yeah after being left in a shower chair for five hours and being walked five out hours and, yeah it was, what did you it do to deserve that yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it was on Valentine's Day got to get some flowers <laughs> I hadn't got up and rushed to the garage and, and bought flowers first thing in the morning so um, uh, but I, anyway after that I, I moved to having live-in care I'm told I have a bit of a radical view about about care because mm. I think that care is is culturally challenging and mm-hmm. I think that um, 
we need to change the way that society thinks about care. Can we come back to that in a second? Can we yeah. first of all maybe discuss exactly like on a day to day basis yeah. what care means for for both of you? Um, yeah, so um, for me, it's um, sounds awful with my PA sitting in the room, but it, it's it's another tool to independence, a bit like the wheelchair, but obviously um, a much more detailed and. Uh, very well trained, uh, excellent um, uh, piece of equipment, um, <laughs> and ever so friendly. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Ella. Um, but uh, yeah, so um, it's really important to find. It's, it can be really tricky and really difficult to have um, to have carers, especially mm. if you are in a relationship or we've got family around, and how that whole dynamic works. Mm. Um, and but I think there's ways that you can. Um, you can make it easier on yourself. So um, having sort of clear boundaries, um, knowing what you want, um, setting sort of having a bit of a routine in your life so things are things can um, operate as smoothly as possible. Um, and also for me, it was not about making it my number one priority of the day was thinking about having carers. It was it's just a means to an end for me. So mm. you know, and, and work was a big thing for me. For that was um, was to have a. Uh, a reason to be getting up in the morning you know the care thing um can be, could take over your day otherwise um so uh yeah i mean going back to when i first started having having care i was um uh i was getting sort of lessons into how to be an employer like i say i was quite young at the time so um even when i was at school i was getting sort of business lessons each week from the local authority to tell me how to fill in tax tables and do wow. sick and holiday pay and things like that um so it did feel like having a job on its own just having having uh, carers or pas in um but uh yeah then now i use uh, a specialist care agency which makes things a lot easier um for me um they are spinal specific care agency so i'm very lucky to have the again through you know with like brian was saying to have the funding um in place for that um and they get trained uh they go on a sort of week-long uh training course mm. um around spinal injuries and what to wow. expect and all the sort of um uh scenarios to expect for that um so that when they come to me they're everything's organized i don't really have to do an awful lot um which is massive peace of mind yeah, um, I imagine. yeah so um so it means i can get on with uh doing what i want to do rather than um pushing making right filling in forms and all that sort of stuff yeah, and, yeah. but a lot of people employ their own um pas as well and it's whatever works for you it's 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 not always going to be one size fits all for for everyone so um there's lots of advice out there sia are great for it um and just again peer support on this is really good so asking mm. people uh, like myself and brian that have have carers um how it works for 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 us and advice on on what to try and and see what works really so Brian, you have a very different approach to care and you see it as a tool living independently just like your wheelchair. Can you elaborate on that? And you you were we were gonna pick this up. The first thing I'd say is that is that there there is no such thing as an ideal care package. And um the um the ideal care package is the one that works for you. The the second thing I'd say is that when you're thinking about care, you have to recognize that care doesn't only impact on the spinal cord injured individual, it impacts on the wider family unit. Mm. And particularly if you have a partner or married, have children, or any of those things. 
And you really need to think quite carefully and more importantly, talk with your family about how care is going to impact, whether it's live-in care or live-out care. Or I mean, I, I remember one story about a guy who um, he struggled because his wife, um, he was injured and she used to wake up an hour before he used to have to get up and clean the bedroom mm-hmm. because she didn't want a carer coming into a dirty bedroom. <laughs> and you know she wouldn't leave her knickers on the floor because the carer was going to come in and see. And so they had yeah. to have a conversation about it, right? And the boundaries about when could the carer come into the bedroom. And so they had to have a conversation with the carer about when the bedroom mm-hmm. door is closed, then you don't come in. It's only if the bedroom door is open. And he said that what he focuses on is is going to work, mm-hmm. and um, care is a tool that he uses mm-hmm. to achieve that. And and I that that to me cuts to the heart of what people should be talking about mm-hmm. when they are talking about care. Because one of the things that I say when I'm talking to newly injured people is is what did you what did you really enjoy before your accident mm-hmm. and how do you use care to get as close to being able to do that again mm-hmm. and I mean I've got loads of sort of high level tetra mates who insist on not having care and I think that people confuse the terms independent living and living independently Right. And people think that independent living means doing as much for yourself as you possibly can. Whereas for me, independent living is about making decisions mm-hmm. and deciding what you're going to do. And I take the view that it's perfectly reasonable to outsource the tasks that are going to let me do what I want to do. So again, if I'm describing my the the, the purpose of my care package mm-hmm. the purpose of my care package is to get here to the studio this morning in order to speak to you guys mm-hmm. and the care that i received to do that are just steps along the way yeah in the same way that anyone would take the steps along the way to get to the studio to record or yeah. whatever it is that they've got to do that day the example that I, that, I, that I give is is that I don't remember, before my accident, I don't once remember waking up and thinking, do you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to shave. <laughs> and I don't ever remember going to bed at night and thinking, oh, you know, I had a great day today. I shaved. <laughs> and I did a bloody good job of shaving. <laughs> shaving was just something that I did yeah. in order to get to work and not yeah, look sure. like a vagabond. <laughs> and I mean, yeah. that's all the trend these days. Well, exactly. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Brian, I hate to tell you. Assume you when I haven't shaved. That's, um, that, that's hobo chic, it really is. So I've got mates that are sort of quite low level tetras who will spend an hour putting their trousers on mm. and will be knackered at the end of it. And I think, why why are you doing that? Mm. Because was putting your trousers on 
a really important thing to you before your accident. Yeah. And I would submit, Your Honor, that putting your trousers on was something you did to get out the door. Yeah. And so why not outsource it in the same way that we outsource, uh, you know, chief executives don't manage their own diary. Yeah. And that's seen that's as true. that's seen as like a a real status symbol. So I, as far as I'm concerned, let somebody else take care of the stuff that I'm really not good at. Yeah. I'm really not good at putting my trousers on. Uh -huh. I'm really not good at shaving. I can shave, but it would involve a couple of trips to the NHS blood bank. <laughs> and, and it would probably take a couple of hours. So outsource that and we save the NHS money. I get to <laughs> to jump on a train and, and, and go and work or go to the pub or mm. do whatever it is. And, and before my accident, getting dressed wasn't an achievement. Chris, do you, you don't get any care at all, do you? Or how do you feel about it? No, I, 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 I did have the option. Um, but uh, I think just because my recovery was, was slightly different, I was able to, for instance, it, it wouldn't take me an hour to put trousers on. But um, I was actually talking to someone um, uh, about care and that they had exactly the point that you had Brian was um, it, his whole philosophy was how can I make everything that I do now that takes me longer just more efficient mm -hmm. so that I can focus on what I enjoy so yes, he's yeah. he's um, he's a chief exec at a, a high-flying company and um, he was like you know um, if I have someone come in I'll just say right you know I need to do xyz as quickly as possible because mm. I want to get out of the house and I want to be in the office mm. with my colleagues. And and I think that, that there's a real issue in society because I think we, we society conditions us to have this myth of independence. And I don't think anyone who lives in the first world is truly independent. I mean, I think that you get the likes of uh, Ray Mears and Bear Grylls and Granoff finds who can, you know, go and exist entirely independent of society. But yeah. the vast majority of people depend on supermarkets and petrol uh, stations and trains point. and public transport. We could probably talk about this for for hours, but we, we, we do have a time limit on the podcast and we have to fit in the most important part of the podcast. Is the role models. Is the role models. <laughs> Andy looks a little bit frightened. <laughs> Okay, are you familiar with this, Brian, our role models? It's backed by popular demand. We had slightly gotten rid of it until everybody complained about my other game, which was terrible. <laughs> so, well, hit me with it. So, okay, so we have a game, right? It's called Role Models. And the idea is that I'll ask a question or I'll place you in a hypothetical situation. Um, and then you have to tell me what you would do and you have to tell me what a role model would do. But this all came about because we were kind of making, f not making fun, that's, mm. that's harsh. We were talking about people describing us as role models or inspirational or whatever these these words that people use. Um, and uh, we were kind of saying that really, really we're, we're, we're just the same as everybody else. We <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm not inspirational because I've, I've picked up a water bottle yeah. <laughs> from the floor. Yeah. So anyway, this, this is where the game came from. So... Let's see. Let's see how this goes. So we have a question here. You're taking the bus and you've been waiting in the rain for 15 minutes. Okay, you're, you're, you're waiting to take the bus and you've been waiting for 15 minutes. It's cold and you're running late for a meeting or an appointment or work. And just before the bus pulls up, a little old lady rocks up at the bus stop with a shopping trolley full of all of her shopping. 
She's very old and she doesn't have anything covering her head. And so she and her shopping are getting drenched. The bus pulls up and the ramp lowers. Both you and the old lady are waiting to get on, but there's only space for one chair or one old lady with her shopping. So what do you do and what does a role model do? (laughs) Um, I'm getting on the bus. (laughs) 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 Yeah, no, um... (laughs) Yeah, she can wait. She can wait in the rain. She can wait there. Okay, Brian, what do you Brian's think? getting on the bus. Brian's getting on the bus. Brian's okay. definitely getting on the bus as well. <laughs> Brian and Andy are fighting to get on the bus. <laughs> Br- Brian I'm 100% getting on the bus. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying my like, chin the fuck up. I'm getting on the bus. <laughs> i tell you what I'd do. I'd get on the bus and invite the little old lady to sit on my lap. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Let's take it a turn. <laughs> Killed two birds with one stone. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Uh, excellent. Oh, Andy, you wouldn't be asking it, little ladies to sit in your lap. Oh, well, depends, I suppose. <laughs> depends what's in the shopping bag. I mean, if she's got full of chocolate biscuits, then by all means. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. <laughs> oh, I'm suddenly aware that I'm in a room full of boys. <laughs> the role model would obviously say, you go, go on, I'll wait for the next bus. Or alternatively, what I would do is I'd get on the bus and um, tell my PA to wait with the old lady and make sure she gets on the next bus. Mm. Oh, that's nice. That is nice. Mm. That's what the role model would do, but it wouldn't really happen. <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of travel then, so you said, Brian, that you use buses quite a lot then. Do you use any other kind of public transport a lot? Or Yeah, I mean, I came here on the on the trains and tubes. Okay. Um, I, I won't drive in London now unless I absolutely mm. have to. I just find it such a nightmare. So, and I do quite a lot of work in London. Um, I live in Northwest London, so, and I either go up to Milton Keynes to SIA's office and I'll, I'll only get the train, okay. uh, get the train into London and um, buses and tubes, yeah. And uh, yeah, they've come on a hell of a long ways in, in, in the last 25 yeah, years. Yeah, completely agree. They've massively mm-hmm. come on public transport. Um, still a lot to do, but... It's definitely better, especially in London. Um, but I think, I don't know about you, Brian, but when I was newly injured, um, you'd just go around shopping centres and you'd be the only person in a wheelchair mm. and everyone would be staring because it was yeah. such a different thing. Mm. Now, you know, can't move from, can you? But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but they, uh, you know, it's not a big thing. And I think it's, yeah. you know, it has become more of a social norm and, um, you know, kids grow up with it. So uh, it's it's not such a weird thing to see someone that's in, in a different position. Um, and public transport's help with that. I think, that, mm-hmm. I think that's why people are getting out more. So all the buses in London yeah. and, are and um, accessible. The Paralympics was a real accelerator for that. So the Paralympics was when they first put... Um, raised bits on tube platforms yeah. mm-hmm. to make tubes accessible. And um, when you talk about Andy's power chair, so I've got a manual chair with a power chair conversion, mm-hmm. and so it's a hybrid. Oh, cool. And um, the reason that I have it is because it sort of gives me the best of both worlds, that it's not as heavy as a power chair. And, and one of the the, the, the key reasons that I've resisted going into a full power chair mm-hmm. is because I my PA can get me on and off trains mm-hmm. with the big wheels on the back because it's a manual chair. They can bump me on and off trains okay. and uh, on and off tubes and Up buses and, curbs, and things. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, uh, 
it gives me the, the flexibility of a sort of a light chair, but with powered assist when, when I want to be a bit more independent. And Andy, you fly a lot, don't you? Yeah, I've flown quite a lot. Um, so, yeah, it's very, very simple, really. Yeah, can you talk to I'm really yeah. keen to learn how this is. So they, um, do they take you right out to the gate as well and yeah. then hop you onto the yard chair or is it Yeah, so the whole process, you know, at the time of booking, you want to give them a call and let them know what your requirements are. Mm. Um, they're very up to date now, most airlines, with mm. um, what they what the questions that they need to ask, the sort of standard questions. Um, power chair, you just need to know a bit about it, really. So mm. you need to know what, uh, how to um, disable the chair. So okay. to unlock and lock the um, the sort of power mode into it, what type of batteries you've got, um, right. because the airline will be asking where what type of batteries you've got, so where they know where to store them. So okay. if they're lithium, they have to be in the cabin. If they're um, sort of dry cell batteries, sealed type, then they have to go into the hold. Um, but then you need to know weight and width and height and dimensions of the chair as well. Mm -hmm. um, you give them all that information, you normally get to the airport and you have to give it to them again. Um, <laughs> but that's just yeah, you know, standard. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then <laughs> you, yeah, you, you go to the aircraft door, um, transfer onto the, the infamous aisle chair. Um, mm. Do you guys know about them? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a really narrow chair that fits down the aisle of the, of the plane. Um, and then they take your uh, your chair, stick it in the hold, and then um, it should be there, ready to to greet you at your at the aircraft door when you arrive wherever you're getting getting to. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it 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 should be a pretty simple scenario. Um, I've only had a couple of times where um, the chairs not worked when I've got it back or been really? slightly broken, but only um, I think it's when I was quite newly injured um and i went over to ireland actually and um came back and um they tried to take uh, don't go blame the irish <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think it was actually this side so you're right. okay. but, uh, yeah that makes sense <laughs> luckily it was on the way home but they'd taken a bit of a spanner to it and uh and tried taking bits and pieces off to it to, to disconnect the batteries right. um and there were bits sort of hanging off it and they'd broken a foot plate so it wasn't ideal um but uh, from then on, it was, you know, it's quite a, a steep learning curve in that I would say to anyone, be be really in control. So mm. once you once you're out of your chair or even before that, let the um, the people that are handling the chair know exactly what they need to be doing and what they don't need yeah. to be doing. So this is how you disconnect the batteries, or this is how you um, use. They have these little air safe keys for power chairs that go into where the where the chair charges. It's really worth investing in one of them. You can get them online. Um, and that's becoming quite recognized by all the airlines. So oh, um, once that's in, then you know what's what. Um, and then they shouldn't start trying to take it apart with spanners. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, no, it works works really simply. And um, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't let flying put anyone off, um, you know, going anywhere. But um, yeah, just make sure you're, what, you're using a cushion when you're on, especially if you're on a long haul flight. Yeah, sure. Um, you can actually take the bottom part of the aircraft seat out off no it. Way. Off, yeah, so they're sort of velcroed on. Right. Okay. So yeah, if you ask, you can remove that and drop your cushion in. So um, the first time I flew long haul was to South Africa, and um, I didn't know that, so I put I had an air cushion as well. So I put that on the mm. on top of the seat, and I was sitting sort of 
level with the top of the arms of the of the plane seat, yeah, and, yeah, I, yeah. and I was a bit like a weeble, sort of um, uh, sort of bobbing around there, no balance, and yeah, um, yeah. so that was uh, fun for ten or twelve uh, hours. Yeah, but uh, uh, yeah, so yeah, if you can take that bottom bit of the seat off, then you'll be bit more comfortable see that that's the advice you need that is that's, that's <laughs> so the, the seat base of, of all airplane seats is a flotation cushion and it just rips out it's just velcroed on that's so a, you just rip that but, that but often the the the, the air crew don't know don't that know, yeah. so really? you have to tell yeah. them yeah and um, so you just rip your um, rip that up and Where's put your Ian cushion. Yeah, that yeah. Um, yeah, I wonder if he knew. I bet he didn't. And the, the other thing is, is I always insist on a bulkhead seat, uh, mm. particularly for long haul flying. Um, so that's in the front, uh, where the, where there's a wall in front of you, and yeah. not. And the reason is because I'm six foot two and a half, and mm. uh, uh, I've got quite long legs, and um, I, I literally can't fit into. Um, an economy seat mm. without the extra leg room and also it gives my PA room to work around me for doing pressure relief and things like that okay. and then one other very quick tip about flying is if you use a leg bag um, take a night bag in a plastic bag uh, plumb night bag into your leg bag and stick that under the chair and then you don't have to worry about Especially for long haul, you don't have to worry about limiting the amount you drink and uh, mm. um, not being able to get to get to the loo. So okay. that's, uh, yeah. that's good advice. Well, well, this is part of the show where we ask uh, the public to send us in questions for ourselves and our guests. And there are some occupational therapists in New Zealand listening to the show. I mean, uh, that is just, first of all, mental that it has that reach. That's unbelievable. So thank you for listening. Uh, and Nicola got in touch on Facebook to tell us that she, uh, she's been telling her OT community about This Is Funnel Crap. And Nicola wants to ask... What is the best or most helpful piece of equipment or technical aid or such like that that you couldn't be without? I love to hear things that have made a real difference that we as OTs could recommend to others. I mean, obviously for me, the hybrid wheelchair is 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 massive. That's mm. that's that's a hell of a thing. Um, but increasingly, I was a I was a a, a late um, convert to. Um, Smart speakers and smartphones, and like the Alexa and so yeah, on. Yeah, and now I um, now I'm absolutely sold on them. And I've uh, so in in my flat, I've got no. um, Philips Hue lights that are linked up to my smart speakers, so I can turn the lights on and off. And I'm in the process of of getting um, uh, a camera fitted as a doorbell and okay. um i really I'm, want a vacuum bus you know the ones that you yeah. give your alexa and you can say alexa do the hoovering yeah and is that, is that a thing that yeah. is a that's thing a they're really anyone listening now is they're not that expensive they're not yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i don't know what you uh, they're, in my in my mind they're expensive <laughs> they, <laughs> i mean you can get really expensive ones they they are good as well but 
that's you know I don't I don't have a, a vacuum robot. I've got a PA. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, oh, we and, talk about this value in your PAs, don't <laughs> yeah, we? So, and but um, and I'm looking at investing in blinds that I can control with that as well. So that's cool. I think uh, increasingly, I I think that that regular tech is is really opening up um, mm. ex- access doors for particularly high level lesions. I, they, they were, I'll tell you a funny story about the smart speaker. One of the things that converted me is that um, my peer is going to love me for telling the story. Um, he fell asleep while I was on my shower chair for two hours. <laughs> I'm so glad he left the room before we started recording. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, because I just got smart speakers, mm-hmm. I was able to call my mate who um, also has one uh, just on just through voice I, and um, so you had it in the bathroom? Uh, no in my bedroom but I've got my, I've got, got a wet room attached uh, to okay, the sure. so I was able to shout through to the bedroom uh, okay. call my mate and um, alerted somebody to the fact that I was wow. sad I thought he'd I thought he'd had a heart attack and died because I, I, I couldn't I was hollering my lungs out. It's a deep sleeper. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's so great. Wow, that's yeah. that's unbelievable. And things like oh. you know, if you fall out your chair, you can you can make a call using yeah smart speakers. Uh, so I think that that I think quite often we look for specialist tech mm-hmm. uh, when regular tech is actually really quite useful. I've been the Apple iWatch. I'm not plugging it here, but I think it has a feature <laughs> where you just it, plugged Alexa. Yeah, well, so. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Free ones all around, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but when you fall out your chair, it knows there's something like sudden impact. No way. Yeah, so it's like a there's like a I don't know uh, I don't know exactly exactly what it does, but it will alert someone or something. That is to good. Come and, yeah, that is how good. amazing is that, mm. Andy? Uh, yeah, I think that's a good one. Um, I think as well when you're uh, certainly for me when I was newly injured, you end up getting all these gadgets and little bits and pieces and you end up hardly using any of them eventually and you mm. find out what actually is good for you but I think going back simple things just like the car that you know I was mentioned earlier how that mm. opened up my world um, and just finding the right wheelchair that does what you need it to do yeah so Brian and I are in very different chairs but they do what we need it to do so um, I think yeah if you can then you can try a demo th- different things out mm. but um, eventually you'll find for for you and it's very individual independence we spoke about earlier is very individual mm. um but yeah you find the right sort of bits and pieces for yourself so uh, but for me definitely the car was the best thing because your wheelchair obviously like you said goes up and down yeah. so if you didn't have the, the wheelchair that you're in you wouldn't and say for instance the manual chair wouldn't fit in the car mm. then you wouldn't be able to drive and yeah exactly yeah it's yeah, all done so it for works, that so, so to your point it works perfectly for you yeah i, I did try and convert one of my cars mm-hmm. so that I could drive it from my manual chair mm-hmm. and I I was reasonably good at the starting and stopping but every time I tried to point it I fell over so yeah that wasn't so clever um, <laughs> yeah, I was sure. very good at the pointing um, so yeah it's really difficult to, for a high level lesion it's really difficult to drive from a manual chair yeah okay Guys, we have run out of time, I'm afraid. Uh, it's been lovely speaking to you guys. It's been lovely um, listening to your stories. Mm. For me, it's been really interesting learning a lot about about things I didn't know so much about before. And it's also made a really pleasant change to have both of you here because you're so much better looking than Ian. Yeah, <laughs> oh, too fucking right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... 
Right, we're, we, we basically are... I'm back in hospital tomorrow. Chris, you, you, were, you were going to come with me, but you're, you've decided to plans stay at changed. home. Plans have changed. Yeah, that's right. Changed plans, changed plans, unfortunately. But um, I'm still going to annoy you anyway by <laughs> WhatsApp or whatever. So... Um, if anybody is in Stanmore over the next week, I am going to be there and I would love to meet anybody, any newly injured people who have started listening to the show or whatever. Um, and, and if not, anybody else, get in touch on all of our social medias that Chris mentioned at the top of the show because we love hearing from everybody all the time. But for now, that's us. Um, and until next time, this is Spinal Crap. Thanks for listening to This is Spinal Crap. And thank you to our sponsors, Coloplast. If you like this week's show, please be sure to subscribe and follow us on social media. 